0: It is Friday, August 2nd, 2019, and you are listening to an episode of the Salvage Title podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad alike and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we're going to kind of focus on a more long term ish type story about uh, automotive sales and. Whether or not we may be in a bubble when it comes to uh, new car sales, leasing, so much else, Uh, things are getting a little weird. Uh, Two huge Japanese automakers announced this week that sales are way down and profitability is down as well. But on the flip side, American companies are continuing to coast on consumers' demands for crossovers, SUVs, and especially pickup trucks. So I'm sure you can take a guess on which two company those are. And then on the back half of the show, we'll talk a bit more about some of the car shopping that I'm doing with my significant other, We're looking for something more fuel-efficient, where we're looking to see if we can replace the Renegade with a used car uh, as a different option, or continue to wait out and see if Jeep offers us a pretty hefty sum of cash for our Renegade. So we will see what happens, some updates, some cars have been driven, some thoughts have been gathered, uh, and I'm ready to share it with you. So after the bump, we'll talk about some car sales news. Well, depending on who you ask, car sales are both good and bad, at least in this first half of 2019, or I guess now we're starting into the second half. Uh, Japanese automakers across the board are eh, doing okay-ish. Toyota, Honda, they're posting fairly significant, if not steady gains uh, as the new models continue to come out, as they continue to uh, strategize within their different brands on how to better market their vehicles uh, in the United States and around the world. Uh, But there are two main Japanese automakers who are really suffering uh, with a lot of what is going on. Uh, One of the biggest losers right now is Mazda, who, you know, is... Well, they're the underdog in the Japanese automaker class. Uh, Mazda, I think, is the fifth largest Japanese automaker uh, in that country, and they are one of the lower-tier Japanese automakers, at least here in the U.S., in terms of sales. Mazda has done a remarkable thing since they were dropped by Ford Motor Company about a decade ago, and uh, that has been largely that they've piloted their own development program, they've designed all of their own vehicles in-house, They've really focused in on fuel efficiency and lightweight materials being a good way to not only increase driving feel but increase fuel economy and as such increase their uh, brand position in the marketplace. Mazda, in a roundabout way, is trying to move up from a Toyota and Honda competitor up to something that would be considered more against Lexus and Acura. And there are some significant costs that come with that because if you're not producing those affordable motor vehicles that a large percentage of the buying public can afford, uh, you're not exactly going to be making, well, as much money off of a wide number of vehicles being made. Uh, And of course, the other problem with that has been that uh, the overall profit margin on each Mazda sold is pretty teeny tiny uh, without the shared development costs with Ford Motor Company. Uh, According to an article I read earlier this week, I believe it was on Jalapnik, Mazda is going to lose about 90% of their profitability year over year uh, from 2018 to 2019. Now, they're saying a lot of that has to do with R&D costs, uh, with the new CX-9, with the new Mazda 3, uh, with the updated Mazda 6, uh, their new powertrains, their new diesel powertrains, so much more. And that has got to be a little scary for a little teeny tiny company like Mazda. Granted, they came out of a pretty bad situation about a decade ago when Ford had dropped them, and, you know... I would say arguably they come out the better uh, end of that situation. Uh, They've really gotten smart about their technology, their engineering, their styling, and it really shows in the good reviews that their cars are getting. Uh, But when you're not making that kind of money, uh, you're going to get a little bit stagnant with what you've got on the shelf. Thankfully, almost all of their cars are brand new at this point. Thankfully, if they got to take a couple more extra years to develop an all-new car, there's some room for that to be okay, but the problem, of course, is that Honda and Toyota are flush with what, excuse me flush with cash, and they can just run in, bang out a new thing, and put it out as fast as possible. And that doesn't really seem to be the name of the game with Mazda at this point. Now, the other interesting thing to note, I guess for me, in terms of portfolio, diversity, things like that, Mazda really seems to kind of have the game locked down. Uh, They offer a small car that's relatively affordable for a lot of people. That would be the two uh, across many markets uh, around the world. Uh, They've got the three. There's the six. They've got the small car and family car game lined up. They've got a large number of crossovers available that do meet different types of needs up and down the spectrum. So, I guess I'm not entirely sure where the uh where the missing piece is that makes it so that their brand isn't uh perceived as uh i don't know what you want to say it like one that's sought after I mean I would happily buy a Mazda over a Honda or a Toyota in many instances, uh, but the problem is is that the Hondas and Toyotas now have gotten so good and they've gotten really good at targeting that middle run of consumers uh that The specialty, the, uh, hmm, what's a good way to put this? Uh, Honda and Toyota have raised the bar in a way where they can start to scratch away at that specialty customer, even though they're still catering to that middle ground of people. By that, I mean, think of something like, you know, five or six years ago, if you wanted a sporty, cheap, uh... Car you would have gotten a Mazda 3. There's no question about it. Nothing even came close to the Mazda 3 in terms of a ride, handling, balance, uh, giving you that driver's uh, feel that you know really goes the extra mile. I guess I would say in terms of uh, driver involvement. But the new Civic came out, the new Corolla came out, uh, and those cars are really as good as, if not better than the 3 series, or Mazda 3, excuse me, and the new Mazda 3 kind of takes a little bit of a step back compared to the previous car when it comes to driver involvement, and that doesn't really bode well for, uh, well, great potential for those uh, enthusiast consumers, and that really is going to determine how good Mazda can do in the future because when you've got really entrenched fans of Acura with Volvo, with, you know, Buick? I I guess I don't really know who exactly they're catering to. Lexus? Uh, I don't really know if they're going to switch too quickly to Mazda. So, best of luck to them in boosting some of that product confidence, but I don't 100% know if that's going to be something that's going to save their profitability in 2019. Well, across the island at Nissan, uh, things aren't a whole lot better. Uh, Nissan announced today with their quarterly earnings report that uh, sales are down about 10% compared to last year. Profitability is also down about the same amount. And it's less of a question now of if it will remain at 10% and more of a question of how much worse it'll get. Uh, Nissan hasn't exactly had the best year in 2019. Uh, Between the problems with investigating their former CEO, Carlos Goshen, uh, their issues with Renault and Mitsubishi continuing to grow, uh, it's not really been super great. And with the sales down so much, uh, it's kind of tough to pinpoint what the problem is. Nissan has been saying that sales of the Altima are down compared to their expectations by a pretty good bit. Um, With all the money spent on research, development, uh, it really just hasn't panned out. Because if you guys remember, about a year ago, Nissan had said that the new Altima uh, was a big, strong commitment on their behalf for the American family sedan. Uh, They thought that the market wasn't going away, and it turns out, uh, well, it definitely is. Uh, Many of those buyers have been moving to vehicles like the Nissan Rogue, uh, but of course sales of the Nissan Rogue have also been spectacularly bad as well. And, you know, a good reason for why the Rogue sales have been so bad is because that vehicle hasn't been updated for such a long time. Uh, We are beyond overdue for a new Nissan Rogue. Uh, This car, I think, dates back... A generation almost two generations back now on the crv and the toyota rav4 uh this thing is older than dirt and it is overdue for a redesign redevelopment uh really anything at this point uh, nissan is dropping sales of the rogue hybrid because they've been so bad i think that model lasted two years which is extremely disappointing uh, Nissan is also blaming the new Kix model for eating sales of both the Ultima and the Rogue, uh, which is kind of weird because I wouldn't consider the Kix uh, a car that, you know, would do that. Uh, but knowing that the Kix is a pretty cheap vehicle, uh, that likely, likely means that the margins on it are pretty teeny tiny. And uh, Nissan needs to kind of figure out where this game's going. Uh, they're also making a guess right now, at least in what I say they, the automotive press, uh, that Nissan's going to be getting rid of the Maxima uh, as well as potentially the Frontier because, one, the Maxima just isn't selling because the Altima exists, and when the Altima is give or take the same size of better quality with more features, uh, it's a much better buy. But then the Frontier, which has been around for the better part of a decade without any significant updates or improvements, uh, is killing the sales of the new Nissan Titan Uh, which is brand new, only a couple years old, Uh, that also hurts in-house development. Really, the main lesson here is that Nissan needs to get their house in order. Uh, There has just not been a very clear way for them to carve a path forward. It's incredibly disappointing. Uh, it's very confusing. And as much as I really love the new Altima, and I really love the new Kicks, and I'm really interested in the new Versa uh, that's coming out in the next couple of months, uh, I don't think these three cars are going to save Nissan in North America. And this really kind of rings some bells similar to what Mitsubishi went through a few years ago. Uh, a lot of stagnation on... Development, engineering, and many other things. And when you only have maybe one or two cars that are kind of good, the rest are going to kind of falter behind. I think the other big thing is I don't think Nissan anticipated uh, the shifts in the marketplace, especially when it comes to crossovers and SUVs. And which is really weird because a big reason why Nissan had been doing so well for a few years is because they had those crossovers and SUVs that people wanted. The Rogue was huge in the US for a very long time. Again, one of those cars that was challenging the top sales leaders uh, in the U.S. for quite some time. The RAV4 now is the best-selling mid-size, or sorry, compact crossover in the U.S., uh, and the Rogue is way, 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 way down the list at this point. Uh, so, Nissan, uh, are you going to be okay? Do you need some help? Uh, maybe that Fiat-Chrysler deal should have gone through uh, because, uh, man, maybe that would have helped you out a little bit in the end. And speaking of Fiat Chrysler, uh, just as good of a time as any to remind you that, well, they're doing okay. But when I say they're doing okay, that really is spurred entirely by Ram and Jeep. Uh, Sales are up for trucks here in the United States, and Fiat Chrysler is doing pretty all right. Sales of the new uh, Gladiator pickup truck for Jeep are through the roof. Demand is incredibly high, and they're doing the best that they can to meet those demands uh, across the United States. Uh, The Ram 1500, I believe, has officially bumped the Silverado out of the second place position as the second best-selling pickup truck in North America. Uh, Very disappointing news for General Motors, uh, but very good news for Ram. Uh, These guys have really knocked to the park in terms of sales, uh, development, design, so much else, and it really goes to show that uh, Fiat Chrysler kind of knew what they were doing when they bet the farm on Jeep and Ram. The big question, of course, is whether or not this is going to be sustainable for them. Uh, after all, outside of the new Wrangler and the new Ram, there really hasn't been a lot of development for new vehicles inside the Chrysler portfolio. Uh, we've gotten a few updates on the Pacifica, which is only, what, three, two, three years old at this point, um, and they are kind of going they're going to split the Pacifica sales out uh, between cheaper models now being called the Voyager and the upper trim models being called the Pacifica. Uh, that may prove to be somewhat successful, but I think it's more of a marketing ploy at this point. Uh, but outside of that, uh, things aren't particularly good at Chrysler. Uh, Dodge is just kind of doing what they do, and as much as they can bang out Hellcats uh, and other specialty performance vehicles, uh, the vans are going away, the caravan is going die at the end of this year apparently. Uh you know, you have got uh well nothing else going on at Jeep. Uh the Grand Cherokee is forever and a day old. Uh the yeah. It's very complicated. Uh, on the one hand, you know, I I, I do congratulate uh, Fiat Chrysler for continuing to pilot a ship seemingly on fumes uh, and making a shitload of money while doing it, but at the same time, uh, it's incredibly frustrating realizing that these guys are just cruising on Well, whatever it is they're cruising on. And, you know, it's important to, I think, go back to the last of the five-year plans that Chrysler unleashed. Uh, I think it was last year? It was just before Sergio Marchionne had passed away, uh, where a lot of the new car development that they had been talking about uh, was going in at Maserati, uh, at Alfa Romeo, and at Fiat, and not at the American counterparts. And it's getting... A little more worrisome year by year when we continue to not have a replacement for the Neon, the Dart, I guess it would be the transition there. Uh, We don't have a replacement for the 200. Uh, We don't have uh, really any vehicle in their portfolio uh, that's available for less than about $20,000, and it seems like that is a gigantic whole uh, when you consider that the 500, I guess, would be that vehicle, Uh, but the 500 doesn't really speak to a lot of buyers across this country, Uh, and when you consider that there are a lot of diehard Mopar people, uh, you know, you would think that something along those lines would be coming uh, from those different companies, so once again, we'll see if that does end up happening. On the flip side, General Motors is also talking about some of their sales, and things are looking pretty healthy with their pickup trucks. Uh, As much as sales are down for the Silverado uh, compared to last year, profitability is still doing pretty good. GM's not too worried. Uh, It sounds like they just got to bang out some updates on the Silverado, and things might get a little bit better. The Sierra, on the other hand, is doing much better than the Sierra Silverado at this point in time, Uh, and, you know, again, it kind of begs the question, I guess, in terms of the pickup truck sales charts. Uh, It's important to point out that GM does not combine sales of the Silverado and the Sierra together when they report sales, Uh, so it's going to be pretty easy for Ram to supersede uh, those two at any given point in time but maybe on down the line, uh, it should be something that they do consider. We'll see if that does end up happening. Uh, I think another big question here, at least in terms of the Silverado and the Sierra, is what they can do to improve these products uh, in the long term. Uh, On the one hand, you know, I don't really feel like the Silverado is that bad looking of a truck, at least in terms of the exterior. I know a lot of people hate it. I think it's fine. Really comes down to what colors you choose for the vehicle. Uh, I think my big concern for the Silver out on the Sierra is the interiors. Uh, They're just not that good. They're not a big improvement over the previous generation. And as much as the argument is right now, at least from GM fans, that a lot of people who buy pickup trucks buy one every decade. Uh, And if you, the last GM truck that you bought was a GMT 800 or an early GMT 900, uh, this new truck is going to be a world of difference. But the reality is, is that the Ram is that much better, the Ford F-150 is that much better, the Ford F-150's been getting updates every other year, seemingly, uh, and it doesn't look like GM's going to budge on the new trucks all that soon, so we'll see. They do have the new diesel model coming out, maybe that might spur some sales along as well. So things look good for the American brands, things look things look less good for some of the Japanese brands. I think what's going to also be really curious to see is where the Germans end up looking I can't imagine that sales have grown that much for BMW, Mercedes, and Audi, or, well, to a greater extent, Volkswagen, uh, as of late, but, uh, you know, things have been weird this year, and, you know, if... Some of the warnings about uh, default rates on new car loans, car loans extending out to 72 84 or more months, uh, isn't concerning people. Uh, it definitely should. Uh, anyone who is taking longer than a five-year loan on some of these cars is fucking crazy. Uh, and when the average transaction price on a new vehicle is now past the $30,000 mark, or well past the $30,000 mark, uh, the profitability, or excuse me, the... Availability of a brand new car to many buyers who would be in that market at this point uh, is getting pretty slim. Uh, there was a really interesting thing that was brought up, at least talking about some of this stuff earlier this week on Jalopnik by some user. I don't remember who it was, Uh, but they were talking about default rates on auto loans and student loans and how those seem to be trending in the same direction, uh, almost at a parallel rate. And if that is the case, the bubble may very well be over for new car sales in North America, because as as we have repeatedly see, as we've repeatedly see the blame been passed on, uh, millennials are going to be what are killing the automotive industry. And a huge part of that is the fault of well our parents' generation Gen X boomers who are fine with paying these longer term loans uh, because they want the status of owning a new car, but not considering what kind of damage that does in terms of prices on vehicles, uh, so on and so forth and we 're going to reach a choke point, and the argument is that that choke point could be here as soon as next year uh, because we 've already started seeing mainline brands that have been doing very well starting to decline. Uh, Yeah, the time, the the Reaper is coming for a lot of people. So we'll see how this turns out. So last up, I want to talk a bit about some of the cars that we are currently looking at to replace my SO's 2015 Jeep Renegade. Uh, We are still kind of waiting to see what the story is if we turn this Jeep in And uh, we're not exactly sold on the idea of turning in her lease and turning around and getting another Jeep. Uh, What is kind of important to consider at this point in time is that we're coming up on the end of summer, which usually indicates the end of the model year for a lot of Jeep vehicles, a lot of car cars car companies across the board uh, end their model year in the uh, early fall. And uh, they're going to be wanting to push these cars out as best they can, I think, as things begin to wrap up. Uh, As I look around on Jeep's website, I look at some of the local incentives, things like that, I think one big takeaway is that uh, they really want to move through compasses and Cherokees, and some Jeep dealers are maybe a little more willing to cut prices down, and other ones are not. And I think the big problem that we're going to be having there is whether or not there's going to be these incentives available uh, for everyone. Uh, Many people in Michigan probably know about this. Maybe other people don't in other parts of the country, but here in Michigan, uh, some dealers are pretty keen to give away the uh, corporate uh, sales discounts, uh, supplier discounts, things like that. Uh, for some companies that can take as much of the quarter of the price of the vehicle off the top, uh, before any other regional sales incentives that might be out there. And at least in terms of Jeep, uh, in one particular sense that I can think of, uh, there's a local dealer that was taking as much as $15,000 off the top of some new Jeep vehicles, and that is downright crazy. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be something that we're going to want to mess around with uh, because it does get a little complicated with uh, how that works long term. Uh, But uh, it's something worth considering. It's definitely something worth looking into, but it kind of gets away from the main thing that we have been kind of worried about as we continue to shop for a new car. And that is what is a, a more fuel efficient, a more environmentally friendly vehicle. And a new Jeep is definitely not in that kind of category So, what we've been looking at so far has been uh, used Priuses, more specifically the Prius, uh, the mainline Prius, and the Prius C. Uh, We drove on Monday night a Prius C and a full size Prius and uh, came away with, well, some conclusions, I guess I would say. Uh, the smaller Prius C uh, is pretty significantly shorter than the regular Prius. Um, it's also down on about almost 40 horsepower compared to the main size car. Uh, but when the car is 500 pounds lighter uh, and is really meant to be more basic city transportation, uh, it works in a very city urban environment. Uh, the route that we took it on kind of combined some of that urban uh, slow pace driving, stop-and-go stuff. It uh, had some freeway speeds. I had some more middle-of-the-road speeds around 45 to 50 miles an hour. And uh, the Prius C, you know, handled drove a lot like my Fiesta did. And that's, of course, because the Fiesta and the Prius C actually competed in the same sphere for some time. Uh, I would say that the hybrid system in that car... Does a great job of being as efficient as possible whenever possible, but only having 100 horsepower, uh, which is even 20 down compared to my Fiesta, uh, does make the car seem pretty pokey, Uh, but the overall fit and finish of the vehicle is quite good. Uh, The seats are pretty comfortable. You can actually fit a regular-sized adult behind a normal-sized driver uh, without too much complaining. I don't think I would want to ride in the backseat of that car all the way to Detroit. It could be done, but I would probably have some leg cramps by the time we were to Lansing. Uh, So, you know, it's a thing. I think one of the big takeaways I think I'm seeing on the Prius C at this point is that uh, this vehicle in particular is not exactly the most affordable Prius out there. Uh, these things, much like the larger Prius V, are really holding on to their value in a way that I can't exactly explain. Uh, on the one hand, I could see with the Prius V being a very specific customer that would be getting that vehicle, you know, more of a family type car than the standard Prius or the Prius C. Uh, but the Prius C, Like two to three grand more than a comparable regular Prius in many instances. Uh, It's it's very strange uh, how those prices stack up in some arrangements. Uh, The other weird thing is that, at least compared to the CarMax dealer that we were at, uh, there's another Prius C here in Grand Rapids with 20,000 fewer miles uh, for $500 less in terms of price. And, you know, I know CarMax pricing isn't exactly the most straightforward thing in the world, but it does kind of bring into question uh i guess where you're shopping what kind of deal you're getting uh that kind of thing but even you know knowing that this car really has held on to its value that way is maybe a good idea for a long-term ownership uh proposition uh but uh I don't know if it's in particular the best buy. Like I said, it feels a little underpowered, Uh, it feels like it was, you know, working pretty hard to get up to highway speeds. Uh, It's definitely competent, I appreciate the fact that it's got automatic climate control standard on the base trim model that we drove. Uh, It's got a dumb head unit in it, which I think is awesome uh, because, you know, worst comes to you know, my SO gets upset about not having Bluetooth in the car, Uh, we can very easily pop that head unit out to a modern one uh, with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, and it would work just great. So, you know, it's definitely on the front burner. I think she prefers the looks of the smaller Prius to the larger one, Uh, but I think in terms of day-to-day operation, uh, at least in my personal opinion, the larger Prius is definitely the way to go. That car in particular is about 500 pounds heavier. It's got a longer wheelbase. It feels much more solid out on the road. It feels more stable uh, on the highway. Uh, I really came away with the larger Prius being pretty impressed overall. Um, I don't know if in every situation the fuel economy is going to be quite as good as the C. Um, The C itself, you know, really excels in stop and go traffic in the city. It does a great job of managing that kind of function uh, versus the larger Prius, which is meant more for those uh, 45 to 70 mile an hour range drives uh, where it really excels at, well, doing the magic that Toyota's hybrid synergy drive does uh, to attain the best fuel economy. Um, I think the biggest drawback with the larger Prius is, of course, that the model years are all over the board on which ones are good and which ones are quote-unquote bad. Uh, One thing I've learned is that the Prius is notoriously bad, let's say, for the 2010 model year is a good example. They have bad piston rings. They have problems with their headlights and taillights, uh, but the rest of the car is completely solid. Uh, And even the worst model year Prius is still significantly better than even good GM, Ford, or Chrysler vehicles. So you're not doing that bad overall. Um, But trying to find the best model year with a decent amount of mileage uh, without any significant issues that may have to be addressed in the near term has been a little bit more of a struggle. Uh, the one that we drove was a 2013 Prius 2, which I think is technically the base trim that year. Uh, the 2013 models are considered to be the start of the quote-unquote good ones of the third generation car, or excuse me, I guess that's the, yeah, that is the third generation car. Uh, so 13 to 15 are the ones to get, apparently, and uh, the those models, you know, the one that we drove, I guess, had 111,000 miles on it. It didn't seem significantly worn, but it had been in two small front-end collisions, so the front bumper, it looks like, had to have been replaced twice, uh, which kind of worries me in terms of some other things underneath. CarMax says it's totally fine. Hey, you know, I don't know. It, it's a complicated thing. Uh, but, you know, I came away being pretty impressed with that car overall, uh, to the point where I would even consider owning one myself. Yes, it's not as much fun as my fiesta but uh it is what it is it's a fuel efficient car that gets 50 miles per gallon on average and that's pretty fucking good these days in 2019 now one little fun car we did get to drive at the end of everything that we drove on monday night was the 20 it was a 2015 bmw i3 uh battery electric hybrid so it does not have the motorcycle engine rage extender in the back uh this car only had 15,000 miles on it It had all of the boxes ticked, but it was a quote-unquote lower-trim model, so I think they call this a Mega World, so it still had cloth seats, uh, has all the exposed carbon fiber, the exposed recycled plastic, um, but it's got, like, the uh, the really fancy kind of wool-trim seats, and... uh, had the big infotainment display, had the parking sensors, the safety sensors, all that kind of stuff, Uh, I came away significantly impressed with this car. And the fact that it was only $18,000 with only 15,000 miles on the clock, when this would have been close to a $50,000 car uh, four years ago, kind of speaks to the... Well, the weird way that a lot of this stuff is working these days, uh, electric cars have been a gamble for a lot of car companies, and they've been a gamble for early adopters. Uh, That's why people always recommend that if you're getting a brand new electric car to lease the damn thing, uh, don't buy it, uh, because you're going to get stuck with a car that's worth almost nothing in a short period of time. Uh, this car was a blast to drive. It was quiet. It was fun. Uh, perhaps the only thing that bothered me about the BMW i3 is the uh, frameless windows. Uh, they pop down about an inch or so from the frame when you open the door so that uh, the window doesn't get stuck. Uh, but being here in Michigan, where things ice over, where things get kind of wild, uh, that really kind of scares me, at least in terms of long term reliability and dependability, uh, because I would hate for that window to. Get stuck, break, anything like that. I'm sure BMW designs it with some level of threshold when it comes to uh, protecting that kind of stuff, but man, that's a little scary in terms of potential repairs. But from what I understand, these cars are remarkably dependable. They're remarkably de- reliable. The 14s had some issues that have been addressed uh, pretty easily. The 15s are a little bit better. Um, but the biggest drawback, of course, with the i3 is that the early models uh, compared to the newer ones have really teeny tiny range uh, levels or range distances uh, for these vehicles. I think the max range on this car is like 80 miles uh, with a full charge. And while the i3 does have an onboard fast charger, which is great. It's one of the few cars in the market that was offering at that point in time. Uh, You're still going to be probably a little stressed out going on some trips, uh, because 80 miles is good for most people who live in somewhat urban environments, uh, but if you don't have easy access to a charger, uh, that probably gets pretty scary pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, for the price, it just isn't something that we can afford right now, and especially when we don't have a charging system available to us in our neighborhood at this point, uh, that really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but it does interest me for a used car in the not-too-distant future because, again, these things are going to continue to tumble in price, and where the floor is on these particular cars, I, I have no idea. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to see where this ends up. Now, having driven that electric car, and my SO now understanding when I speak at length about how much fun it is to have a Tesla, how cool it is to have a car that's so quiet, uh, that you don't have to worry about maintenance with. Uh, she's intrigued by the idea of an electric car. So we're adding the Nissan LEAF to the, uh, search list. Uh, but the interesting thing is here in Michigan is how much more expensive a comparable LEAF is here compared to out West in like California or even down South in Florida. Uh, some of the, used vehicle prices out in California uh, with HOV stickers and all that, you're looking at like three to four grand cheaper than it is here in Michigan with the same amount of miles on it. Uh, That is kind of strange. Uh, Not exactly a good indicator for what uh, overall value on these vehicles are going to be long term, but Nevertheless, you know, if you can get a pretty decent one for less than 10 grand, we're talking like less than 40,000 miles, uh, that's pretty good. But again, the problem, just like the i3, is that the early Leafs had really bad range uh, on them. And it was a weird way that Nissan had been calculating the range distances on the cars. Nissan also quietly changed the batteries in the car year to year to do different things. So, from what I understand, it's the 2014 and 2015 models that are the best versions of the Leaf to get. Uh, Those didn't have the tiny 22 kilowatt hour battery but had the 24 kilowatt hour battery which was a little bit better i had some improvements put on it but it's the 30 kilowatt hour battery that came out in 2016 that has a lot of issues uh that's to avoid so again we'll keep shopping we'll keep looking to see but i think in terms of the leaf we're going to come up with the same problem we have with the Leaf, where you know, if you've only got 84 miles of range, you know, it's enough to drive for a couple days of heavy driving, Uh, but if you don't have easy access to a DC fast charger or a level 2 charger uh, either near your work or your home or, you know, a shop near your house, uh, it's not exactly the most convenient vehicle to own, and that's what we are continuing to struggle with uh, because, you know, we can't exactly have a car that, you know, dies after driving 80 miles. Uh, Just the same, I think, the big thing and you know I've talked about this on the show with other versions of electric cars if we can't drive from Grand Rapids to Detroit without having to stop for a charge uh it doesn't make a lot of sense you know it's that's about 100 and what is that 170 miles I think is about that distance I might be overstating that I can't remember what it is off the top of my head but it's a 3 hour drive and if we can't take that car 3 hours on that route uh it's it's not the most practical vehicle in the world so once again, I'll keep you guys updated as we continue to shop. We're gonna keep honing in on the Prius shopping experience. We might try to keep an eye out for a Leaf just so she can see if that's a vehicle she likes. But uh, we the top, the clock is running. We've got about three weeks as our goal to figure this out because uh, it's gonna come up quick when we don't have a car, and that's not gonna be a fun situation to be in. <laughs> Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title podcast for Friday, August 2nd, 2019. Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with this podcast at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, We make this podcast available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Uh, So if you haven't subscribed, hit that subscribe button. Uh, If you like what you hear, make sure you share it with your friends. And if you're on a platform that does ask for ratings, uh, if you could do so, that would help us out a good bit. Uh, I really like getting back into doing this on a somewhat regular basis. Seems like my job, at least today has balanced out a little bit more than what I expected. I was able to get my car fixed in a short amount of time, replacing some front pads and front rotors. Uh, so we are all good on the home front when it comes to driving the Fiesta for another year or so. So yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, get outside, enjoy the weather. It's a beautiful day here in Michigan. I know it seems to have cooled off in a lot of places here uh, in the United States for at least in the last couple days. So Enjoy it while you can. Summer's only here for another month or two. Uh, And then, you know, it's going to be Halloween. And then it's, you know, it's the end of the year. And then we're all just all going to die because it's going to be 2020. And it's going to be even worse than 2019. So with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.